From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling, and it's Players Championship Week. It's Monday, March 8th, 2021. And Ryan Ballinger, a year ago, we were having this conversation, and then the world changed. Um, so, Ryan Ballinger, Golf News Net, welcome back to Teeing It Up. Um, hopefully, this is the start of you being on the show for the right tournaments and the right time of year with no interruptions in 2021. Well, first, thanks for having me on. I mean, I, I hope that we're closer to the end. I think we're closer to the end than the, I know we are closer to the end than the beginning. Uh, and it's been, I've spent a little time this morning and just kind of recap, like reliving last year, the, the first round of the players. That um, I had come back from a golf trip with my family that we take every year to Florida, to Orlando, the weekend prior. And that weekend, it just felt like when we were leaving, something had changed, something was going wrong. And we went through the airport in Orlando, and I think we found out a day or two later that someone in the TSA at that airport had contracted coronavirus. No one was even calling it COVID-19 yet. Right. And no, you know, no thought about masks, none of that. I mean, we flew like normal, all of that stuff. And then Thursday happened. Well, really, Wednesday happened. Yeah, Rudy then, Gobert happened. Uh, with Ru- Rudy Gobert thinking, oh, no, here we go. And then I watched some of the telecast of the players' first round, the only round, last year. And just to see the the change from when they got on air, okay, things are weird and changing, but we're still going to bring you the golf, and hopefully it's a, an escape to a few hours later being like everything has gone wrong. I mean, there were cancellations left, right, and center of everything that was going on around them while the telecast was happening, and obviously the tour is telling it version of events while what was going on behind the scenes and all of a sudden there was no tournament it was everything was done and just to see that the change in the people who broadcast the tournament that day's voice and expression is kind of haunting it's really strange i am with you on that totally i remember Tarico. Mike Mike Tarico was was basically it felt like coming in and out of every commercial break with this thing canceled, this thing shut down, and then I I will never forget on that Friday morning when Jay Monahan has the press conference. He then sits down with Tarico. He's near tears at that point, very emotional. Yeah. And as and as live from signs off, hi my d uh, uh, um hi. Excuse me, Jaime Diaz says, I um, I hate to say this, but I think the Masters may be the only major played this year. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And we wound up having three majors in 2020, but he was more right than wrong in terms of the sentiment of where things were going. And I, I, it just... It's astounding to think where we are 12 months later. Um, but we are back at Sawgrass. People forget Hideki Matsuyama's round, the 63 that he shot. Um, the, you know, the, the course record, essentially, that will forever be forgotten. Um, 
And we come in off of a very interesting and entertaining start to 2021. We've had rules issues. We've had cheating allegations. We've had great winners. We've had great finishes. We've had controversies. We've had the horrendous news involving Tiger Woods. All the best, Tiger. We've had Max Homa's emotional win at home. And then we have yesterday at the Arnold Palmer Invitational where Bryson put all that work that he's done on display. And Ryan, I, I, I go back to the Masters where we all wondered what he would do. And he talked about feeling weird and then he's seen about 20 specialists after that and finally gets this diagnosis to what happened and he's now cut down on the weight and cut down on the protein shakes and is kind of recalibrated. But what he recalibrated into was somebody that completely changed how the, how the sixth hole will be played forever. And impressively, what let him down at Augusta showed back up again yesterday and over the weekend, and that was his putter in his short game. He finally put it all together and got a win at the Arnold Palmer Invitational that will forever be remembered for not only how, how aggressive he was, but also how well he putted, including the save on 11, the long birdie putt on four. Um, just the way he played was very Wingfoot-esque for how Bryson took on Bay Hill. And it was like a Sunday at a U.S. Open anyhow. I mean, the, the scoring average was higher. It was three strokes higher, I think, than the day before. Yep. Two or three strokes higher. Um, the, the greens were very firm for most of the week. The pin positions were the traditional ones, which made you work pretty hard to make birdies off the tee, because it, especially I'm thinking like eight, 13, uh, to a degree, 17, definitely 18. You had to, as they keep telling us, play boldly uh, to, to be able to get to those locations. And the thing that DeChambeau had, he wasn't necessarily the most accurate guy off the team. I mean, there were plenty of times where a normal person would have just tried to gouge it up toward the green. But he did what he did at the U.S. Open, which was gained the strokes off the tee so that with his strength and his single-length irons, he could put a club on the ball, get it pretty high in the air, and get it to stop, and gave himself looks and easy parts. I, mean, I know we talk about his distance all the time, and rightfully so, but his lag putting is unbelievable right yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, there were very few putts where it's you know, 17 and 18, because he was probably nervous, but up until then, all of his lag putts were to two feet or inside of it. I mean, there were, there were no sweats until the bad first putt on 17 and trying to win it outright on 18 with a birdie. But even both of those were center cut in the end. So just the confidence that he has putting right now is so fundamental to everything else that he's able to do. It reminds me of Dustin and what Dustin has done since the end of uh, since the latter half of 2020 when he made that adjustment coming out of the stoppage with Austin. And, you know, he's been a completely different player since he recalibrated everything on the greens. And now we've seen what Dustin has done on a, on a wide scale. Uh, Ryan Ballinger with us here uh, from Golf News Net. Um, 
it's an interesting uh, way that we now look look to the players because Sawgrass is not a course you can overpower. Or is it? And, you know, Sawgrass is precision. Pete Dye Golf is precision. Do you think Bryson's game... See, for for my money, um, no, no pun intended, I think Colin Morikawa's game is much more the sawgrass game. That precision, it's long enough, the weather's going to be in the 70s, so the ball will fly. That kind of a game is more fit for sawgrass than Bryson's because of dispersion and how you'll be penalized. And yet we saw with Bryson twice out of the rough this week. Um, what hole was it on the back nine where he got himself in trouble and then was able to get it out? And then 18 on Saturday. So how do you view Bryson and Sawgrass in the, in, in, in the context of what we just witnessed at Bay Hill? Good question. I think Wingfoot, and I go back to the U.S. Open uh, conversation. Wingfoot is actually pretty wide open, if you think about it in Bryson's terms. Yeah. Because all he's trying to do is keep the ball away from trees because he's got the strength he feels and the length to advance a wedge or a short iron to the green regardless. So for him, yeah, he doesn't want to be in the deep rough, but it's not that big of a deal if he is, if he hits it 340. Same thing was true at Bay Hill. As long as you didn't put the ball in the water or put it out of bounds in a backyard, it's pretty wide open. There aren't a whole lot of ways to get stuck. Uh, unless you get unfortunate behind the tree. And even then, he found a way to slice a three-wood up to the green on 12. So, so long as for him, he's in grass, unobstructed, that's fine. But the problem is, there aren't a lot of holes that are like that at sawgrass. And I think that could be a potential frustration. But again, he played Colonial shockingly well with this strategy. He played Harbortown, a die course, uh, ostensibly a Nicholas, but really a die course with this strategy and did really well. So he can do it on tighter courses. It can be there. I guess it all just boils down to the comfort level he's going to feel hitting certain shots and on which holes he's going to try to smoke a driver or will he try the strategy and throttle back a little bit with a long iron. He tried that a couple of times. Uh, on Sunday, he got out a, a two iron. It almost went in the water, I believe, on 11 when he pulled it. But if he can feel comfortable doing the same thing, just trying to blast it as far as he can with whatever club he feels comfortable with, maybe he can still execute his strategy. But I, I do think that it favors a more plotting type of golfer in a traditional good ball striking sense compared to a guy who can bomb it and wedge it. Ryan Boundy with us here on uh, Teeing It Up. Um what a shame that Brooks Kepka now has a right knee injury, right? As his left side was getting healthy, he wins in Phoenix. Um, and I just worry, you know, the, the statement from his manager didn't really give a backstory on what happened. Um, you hope it's precautionary and that he'll be ready for Augusta because he's been so good about getting so close there. But, man, Ryan, I was... 
I was big on on Brooks for this week, and uh, he was going to be uh, be my pick both on the radio uh, podcasts and for um, my one and done league. And I can't go that direction anymore. What a shame! And let's hope that that this is just precautionary from the uh, Kepka camp. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, hopefully it's not a symbol of a, a bigger problem because I would have loved his chances at the Masters healthy. Uh, I'm not sure what to expect now. Uh, it may just be, like you said, cautionary. They may say, well, he's just got to rest for a few weeks and it'll be okay. We'll just have to see, I suppose. But I know there was some snark out there and probably deserved where you know where you are at the major championship wannabe contenders, the players, when one of the best players in the world chooses to rest instead of play. So you got to assume it's, it's got to be significant. It's not just like, oh, I, I tweaked my knee. I don't think Brooks is that kind of guy. Yeah. I think if he really wanted to play and felt he could at his best, he would do it. So you got to take it seriously that uh, he could have a, a bigger knee issue than possible, but hopefully it it turns out to be something that doesn't require surgery or have some kind of long-term lingering effect. But to have two messed up knees, as a, potentially two messed up knees as a golfer, is never good. No. And um, especially for him where, where he's tried to take pressure off his left side by making some minor swing adjustments, um, that's not going to help matters either. Which brings us to Jordan Spieth, who finally... Seems like he has turned a corner. And this is now, what, four straight times? Five straight times that he's put himself in good position like this and hasn't quite gotten over the crest? I, I think he might have been in that playoff at Riv if it wasn't for Saturday in the wind. I, I think he got kind of unlucky in that sense with the weather. And obviously yesterday was tough for everybody involved and wind and, and tough conditions are going to expose you when you're making swing changes. I have a funny feeling about him this week. I don't know if he's long enough per se, but he sure is when he's on accurate. and He's got that squeezer kind of low fadey thing going right now. I have a funny feeling that, that this might be the week that he's building towards something and that this could be it. I know for years we've we've said is Tiger back is Tiger back is Tiger back and look Tiger was clearly back he won a major and he won once after that for his 82nd win when it comes to Jordan I think he's back step 1 phase 1 which is he has been able to avoid big numbers been able to avoid having problems um, that have led him into mental despair, which which we've seen a lot of over the last couple of years. He is clearly having staying power. So I think he's back in that uh, thought. Now he's got to make the next step. I wonder if this week is the week and that he who hangs tough and putts well, he doesn't really have a lot of you know past track record history here of, of being in it down the stretch on Sunday that I can remember. But maybe this is the right time when the expectations may not and, and the focus may not be on you this week for him to come through. Well, Speed's overall, especially near-term record at Sawgrass, stinks. It's just it's no good. However, 
In 2014, he nearly won this tournament when Martin Keimer wound up winning. Oh, that's so right. Not, yeah. It's not like he's never been there. It's just he hasn't been there lately. And I think part of that is who he's become since then. I mean, he's gone through two or three different versions of who he's supposed to be. And I think the expectations of his performance in this tournament because of that have suffered. And then he's been in the wilderness for three years, uh, three plus years, really. And so there's kind of been the, all right, well, he's not as good as he once was. And he's still a horrible driver of the golf ball, but at least, like you said, with the the gross-looking squeeze fade, he's found something that can get the ball in play when he feels uncomfortable. And that that's really important at Sawgrass. You've got to get the ball in play. You can't find yourself having to carve around trees all day. Eventually, it will get you. And so if he can find a way to just comfortably put the ball in play and then do his speed stuff, which seems to have magically come back where all the, the good breaks are happening and the, the shots that maybe were too aggressive or weren't being pulled off in recent memory, they're coming up okay. And so and the mistakes somehow are bouncing in his favor. You need those things to happen when you're running good. And then he's also just starting to play better. I mean, He's gaining strokes on the approach, uh, which is remarkable with how many strokes he loses off the tee. He's putting well, putting almost as well as I can remember, other than maybe a little stretch in like 2018 when he was making everything. And I think that this can be a golf course that can suit him. It can work for him. I think having whatever number of fans we're this week, 5,000 fans a day, maybe something like that. I, I think um, it's 10 this week, isn't it? It, it was five yeah. last week. Isn't it 10 this week? It's 25%. So they used to do 40. So I guess it could be 10. Let's say eight to 10,000 fans a day. Whatever that number is, they're going to want to pull for this guy. Yeah. If, if people have come back on the other side of, of Jordan's feet. They want him to be good again. And he's proving that he's got the capability and maybe the universe is aligned in his favor. So I, I think those are all positive things that work for him. But uh, anybody who's playing this golf course or has played it before knows you're only one or two bad holes away from having no shot of winning. So that's the downside of speed is he could make a quad at any moment and this thing's over. To your point about Jordan, uh, there are 229 players who have enough rounds to qualify for strokes gained off the tee. Of those 229 players, Jordan Spieth is 181st right now in that category, losing on average a third of a stroke per round, which over the course of an event obviously is going to add up and not do yourself any good. Um, and furthering his problems, uh, he fell 10... Sp- he actually <laughs> he actually gained 10 spots from where he was in this category. He was 191 last week, and then his performance at Bay Hill actually had him raise 10 spots. So that just speaks to his plight right now. Um, Justin Thomas intrigues me. Um, in that he has had one brutal 2021. Um, The horrific homophobic slur on the hot mic, losing his grandfather, 
the the tiger uh, um, accident when he's one of his best friends both in life and uh, in golf. Um, he clearly has not been himself. I have a theory about Justin that I want to run by you, which is so much of his early 2021 was recovering from the homophobic slur and going through sensitivity training that Titleist gave him and working with various sponsors and trying to, to get himself in a better place to figure out where that came from and how to move forward. Losing your grandfather and for his dad, who he's obviously so close with as his swing coach, is brutal and grieving is a long, horrible process. But I wonder if that loss may be what gets him going again, purely in the sense that it moves what happened in January off the main focus for a minute. He's actually got some breathing room now to take in losing his grandpa, to take in everything that's happened in 2021, recalibrate and get ready for this stretch run of big events. I wonder if in a very bizarre and horribly sad way, losing your grandfather actually is what allows him to stop refocus and get all his ducks in a row possible i mean i I still feel like he's playing somewhat distracted golf uh i think at this point it's probably a little bit of each losing someone who was so important to you personally but also as a golfer but also being taken down a few pegs um for the first time in his life probably yeah taking down a few pegs it's when you're on a roll and someone cuts you off or you cut yourself off in, in Justin Thomas's case and all of a sudden you come down the, the ladder a few runs, it's really hard to get confidence back, it seems. And, and whatever it is that you need to get the confidence, whatever you were good at, because I think whatever, it just extends throughout your entire life when something like that you do that to yourself or happens to you, frankly, either way. So I think it's taking a little time for him to figure out that. And at the same time, he's processing this grief that he's reminded of every time he shows up to work, because I'm sure he thinks about it every time he plays golf. Um, It's going to take a while. I don't know. Everyone's different, but I'm much more tepid on Justin Thomas in the short term. Maybe he gets inspired in a certain situation instead of being sad about it, turns it into an inspiration. But when does that happen? I, I, I can't predict that, and I don't even think he could. So for now, I, I just kind of have tepid expectations for the guy, uh, and we'll see where he is maybe by the time we get to May. Maybe by the time we get to the PGA Championship, he'll start thinking, uh, thinking about it in a positive way, especially because of how he feels so strongly about the PGA Championship, what it meant to win it, what it meant for his dad, his grandfather to be PGA of America members, all those things. So maybe that's when you start thinking, okay, this goes from a mourning situation to an inspiration situation. Ryan Bounge with us on Teeing It Up. Have you seen anything from Rory that would give um, 
you any reason to put money on him this week because I have seen absolutely positively nothing even though he is the is technically the uh, defending champion. Uh, Rory, um, don't really have high hopes for him to win. I feel like he puts himself there all the time just because he's that much better than everybody. And then he gets to Sunday and just falls flat. And I, I don't know what, I mean, he talked about it again after Bay Hill. I just need the spark. He's missing something. He maybe needs to make a change. And but at this point, we've been at this for almost a year. We're not, I mean, nine, ten months into pandemic golf. And we're starting to get events now with fans back. So I think early on, and he hypothesized, it was missing the fans. Well, we've had several events in a row now, well, three out of the last four, I think it is, with fans yep. in some fashion. Yeah. So they've been there. He's played in them. So it's not that. It's not the fans. There's something else that's missing. And I think that's got to be disconcerting if you're McElroy because your theory's wrong. You've played like junk on Sundays forever and you had an easy out before. Because you go, oh, oh, it's just the fans. When they come back, I will be inspired and I will get back to figuring out how to close golf tournaments. Well, that has not happened yet. So... What is it really? And I think it's going to be a, a hard process for him to dig deep and find the actual answer to that problem. And just, truthfully, I feel like he, he it's not that he doesn't care. I think he cares. But that it just, he's just got other priorities in life, I think, more so than a lot of professional golfers. And he knows that there's a lot more important stuff going on in the world than playing golf, and I, I think that he just tunes out because of that. I, I don't know why, but I think he does, and I don't know what's going to convince him other than that the pandemic's over. Maybe that's your next excuse. When the pandemic's over, there won't be more important things because everything will be fine again. I, I don't know, but I, I, he's starting to run out of excuses for himself, and so now you have to do something different because your excuse, your primary excuse, doesn't work anymore. Uh, the newly elected Player Advisory Council Chairman Rory McIlroy um, on the PGA Tour, Ryan Balanchy, with us and teeing it up. All right, you get one of only the following for this week: Cantlay, Xander, Morikawa. Who are you picking? Sorry, can you say that again? You broke up a little bit. Cantlay, Morikawa. And Xander, you get only one this week. Who do you want? I, I would have it down to Morikawa and Cantlay. Not to disrespect Shockley, but I, I just think those two guys are playing a little, little bit more like a Sawgrass winner. Yeah. Xander can win every tournament, but he doesn't. So I, I'm maybe biased against that. But... <laughs> Um, I think of those two, I would say Cantlay just based on the results of this entire 2020-2021 season. I think he's finished outside the top 17 once. He hasn't played as much golf as some other guys, but when he plays, he gets close. 
Uh, and this is the kind of golf course where he he would stand to do well. I, I think the disappointment of Genesis not playing well at all on Sunday, even though he was on the fringes of contention, I, I think that's got to bother him a little bit. So maybe some extra motivation here. Um, but Morikawa, I mean, he's just so good on the approach play every time out. Tita Green, every time out. Now that he feels like he can putt, at least however temporarily with this saw grip, it's, it's really hard to not like him. I mean, I, I, I feel kind of silly not liking him. Um, just on, I know he's going to put the ball on greens. I know he's going to give himself a lot of good looks. And if you can give yourself good looks on seven of 18 holes, you're probably going to shoot a good score. And if you shoot 468 at Sawgrass, you're going to win. And I don't see that that is very difficult for Colin Morikawa. No, and I um, I talked to his swing coach, Rick Sessinghouse, uh, last year, uh, Dr. Rick Sessinghouse, and so much of what they work on now is the mental game, plotting, strategy, but knowing you have the ability to adjust. Hello, um, Harding Park 16. And what do we always talk about at Sawgrass? Plotting. Knowing when to take the chance, knowing where a slope is, knowing where your bailout is, knowing where you can be aggressive, but also knowing that it does give you the opportunity to take risks when you have to. It's very much a Colin Morikawa golf course, and that, I think, is partially why um, he might be my pick this week. We'll, we'll see. I, I was so, so in on Kepka that I have to recalibrate now, uh, big time. And figure out who for Morikawa too is uh, is trying to is now he feels more comfortable chipping on Bermuda. Yeah, uh, with Azinger too. Whatever that tip was from Azinger. Yeah. To figure out how to chip on Bermuda, I'm I'm the same way. I I hate chipping. I hate hitting off of Bermuda. But if you feel comfortable with it, your whole mindset changes. So if he feels comfortable playing off Bermuda, which is, I mean, they do the overseed a little, you know, at the. Uh, at Sawgrass a little bit, but still, you got to deal with that grass. Uh, maybe he feels more confident on this golf course. Have I ever told you the story of my first time playing off of uh, uh, of uh, playing off of Bermuda grass? No. Uh, went to Kingsmill Resort for almost a decade straight um, with my parents on a family trip, and. Loved it there. Loved it there. And it was my first ever time on that grass. And I could not chip to save my life. Anything I tried failed. And after about year three, I came back to my swing coach and I said, Marty, I, I, I go on this trip every year and my short game stinks. And he goes, where are you going? And I said, Williamsburg, Virginia. And he goes, you don't know how to chip or pitch off Bermuda. I'm like, wait, you have to change your technique depending on the grass. <laughs> and it was like, uh, hello. Um, just something I was not familiar with. Fast forward to Aruba uh, a couple of years ago, and I'm, I'm playing off Bermuda for the first time in years. And I was working through full swing changes, and I hadn't really cared much about my short game. And I was like, hallelujah, my full swing's good and my biggest problem is I can't chip off Bermuda. I'll take that. And made the quick adjustment and improved that immediately. So 
it's very much realizing that you have to change your ways. And for Colin, who's never really played much on that growing up, it really is an eye-opener. And uh, as Brooks likes to say, if you can chip off of Bermuda, you can chip off anything. And as you just said, Ryan, you don't like playing off it. I don't like playing off it. It completely stymies the way I like to play short game shots, but that's just the way you got to adjust sometimes. Yeah, every, every year I go to Orlando for our family trip. It's the, really usually the only rounds of on Bermuda I play each year, guaranteed at least. Yeah. And it we play five rounds, and it probably takes two or three just to get remind myself how to play full wedge shots, how to play partial shots, all that stuff off Bermuda grass as opposed to the rye grass of my course or bent grass is a lot around here. It's just a completely different animal. And again, if you don't feel confident playing that shot, you're going to suffer. Every part of your game is going to suffer. So for Morikawa, who apparently now feels pretty good about shipping off of the surface, that's a, that's a big deal. I think that's an understated big deal for him. So to wrap this up, the winner of the 2021 Players Championship which is on Golf Channel from noon to 6, Thursday and Friday, and NBC Saturday, Sunday, 1 to 6 p.m. with every shot of every player live on PGA Tour Live um, all week. It's free on Thursday, and if anybody out there happens to be listening to this who had a ticket for 2020, you should have received a notice from the tournament that will give you free access to this for the entire week. With that long preamble out of the way, um, the, your winner is... Top 5 Tony. Mm. Tony Finau this week. Uh, he's played incredible golf. He's put himself in position time and again. He goes unperturbed every week that he gets close and doesn't win. It could at this point that it's a comedy that he doesn't win. I know it bothers him, but he keeps playing great, and it would be the appropriate story for him to end his long run, long winless run since Puerto Rico with a Players' Championship. How excited are you to hear Jay Monahan talk about the play, the, the, the uh, data lake this week in his State of the Tour press conference? <laughs> I, I, I just hope people appreciate what has happened in the last year. Yeah. From uh, and I, I was hugely skeptical when they announced that the schedule would come back, and then when Nick Botney popped the first negative, and all the, the or popped the first positive, and all yeah. the positives in Hartford, I thought this was doomed. Same. And I was wrong, and I'm very glad to have been wrong. And we should appreciate the work that has gone into getting this tour to be active for the last basically year um, without any real major interruption, done safely, done well. And hopefully they can reflect on that some this week. And not, not do a victory lap because that's not what this is supposed to be, but just an understated appreciation of what has been accomplished from an entertainment standpoint in the last year. Totally. And I say it all the time to people when I'm asked about this, and I'll say it again here. The fact that the PGA of America and the USGA, which at, you know in the past have worked in their own silos, 
looked at what the PGA Tour had done, seen how successful it was, and literally took the the playbook, the health and safety protocol playbook, copy and pasted it, and just changed out every mention of PGA Tour to USGA or PGA speaks volumes about how well they came back. I thought this was doomed in Hartford as well. I thought that plane ride from Jay Monahan was this emergency press conference to say we're stopping. It has not been that, and literally nothing canceled, nothing postponed. They have an issue with the Canadian Open right now, but for nothing to have been stopped, and kudos to Workday for now being the replacement sponsor twice, um, and Kyle Morikawa sweeping. Rihanna Rivera now, they're the closer. Yes, and... And for Kyle Morikawa sweeping the workday replacement uh, double. Um, yeah, kudos to, to Jay and the Tyler and the Andy and, and everybody involved at the PGA Tour who was a part of the health and safety protocol uh, task force folks to bring this back. Um, made a lot of people happy giving golf to watch and the golf has lived up to that. Ryan Ballingy, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. And it would be fitting that Tony Finau gets his first win since the Puerto Rico Open uh, uh, on a tough golf course and have all his hard work pay off. It would certainly be fitting. Thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Subscribe, rate, review. He's at Ryan Ballingy. I'm at Jay Schill. Uh, We will see you next time.